Hello and welcome back to the Lion's Roar podcast, uh, your spot for information about Lakeway Christian schools and Christian education overall. Uh, we are in part two, or episode four, if you will, on our episode about elementary literacy. Uh, I'll introduce us all again. Uh, my name is Spencer Morris. I'm the director of communications for Lakeway Christian schools. I am joined by, as always, Dr. Kevin Klein, our head of schools for Lakeway. Spencer, so good to be back. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Dr. Reagan Long, the principal here at Cornerstone Christian Academy. Hey, Spencer. Hey. <laughs> and uh, Miss Amanda Lay, uh, hey, second hey. grade teacher here at Cornerstone. Thank you all for uh, joining us. What you did not see over the week that you waited to listen to this um, was a few minutes, a joke or two, and a break uh, after <laughs> some really good discussion there. So we're just going to hop right back in uh, to our discussion. Again, we're discussing elementary literacy. Um, the, the first half of uh, what we're talking about today, or episode three of the podcast, very much about conceptual overview of elementary Elementary mm-hmm. literacy, how it factors into uh, education as a whole, Christian education, and, and from here, you know, I really want us to get um, more specific about you know how it affects our day to day in Christian education here at Cornerstone. So um, I'll just kind of toss this over. I'll start with you, actually, Dr. Klein. Um, why would you say that uh, literacy is central to Christian education? Well, I mean, I think, you know, I'd, I would phrase it or I would start by saying this. Uh, last night, uh, shout out to Brett and Lane Moore. They sent me a, a podcast or a, a, not a podcast, maybe a video debate that the Gospel Coalition put out about public school or Christian school. And um, there were two great arguments that were had and, and great points on both sides of the argument. But but the guy who was kind of representing the Christian school aspect, he brought up uh, something, you know, just a great way to think about it. And he, he talked about this word uh, called padilla in Greek that means basically it's a holistic view of education. It's how we bring someone up, not only in factual information, but also how do we shape how they think about that? How does that impact their day-to-day life, their morals? Their, their their philosophy, things of that nature, right? Like they really bring up the pieces and parts that, that are really central to who we are as, as, as Christians and Christian educators. And, and so when you, when you think about why is it central to Christian education, I think you can talk about the product uh, that they actually produce uh, through that biblical worldview, the, the products that they read. Um, I think you can talk about the process. I can take it all those things. So I think it's, it's all those things together. But, but what I really, really drill it down to is, um, is I want them to be able to grow in their faith. I want them to be able to analyze, think of that, and then be able to produce Right. And so that is the literacy cycle. Right. That that is that is literacy. But for our perspective, it is through that biblical biblical lens. Um, And so I think that that, that's why it's so central. We can't grow in our faith without the ability to 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 read to think about it and produce. We can't do that. Um, not just central to the Bible, but Bible studies and, and books about Christian leadership and books about Christian leaders and, and church doctrine and all the things that go with that. I mean, I think it's just so central, um, you know, to that. So, um, you know, it's a pivotal part of who we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would say like Spencer, I could ask you, can you know your savior without understanding math? Uh, Yes, I would lose a lot mm-hmm. of cool examples you can do during a Wednesday night Devo, but yeah. <laughs> true. I mean, <laughs> math is great, right? We got to sure. learn math, yeah. but can you know your Savior 
without literacy. No, mm. I, I, not the same way, at least not yes. to the same depth. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, there is a component even of literacy that is an oral sure. um, sharing of information like storytelling and um, just those oral traditions, even from long ago that should still exist today. And so for me, it's central to what we do because if you can't know your savior without knowing his word, then yes, we can't say we've done our job in education if we haven't given you the tools that you need. For and I that. think that's such a great point. Dr. Long and I have had this discussion many times. If the Bible, the written language is how God chose to communicate the greatest love story of all time, then I think we cannot in any ounce discredit the importance of literacy. Absolutely. And if, you know, to kind of follow that train of thought, if we, if we really want to be thorough about it, literacy is, you know, intertwined with scripture in general, but not just scripture itself, but what it depicts. Like when you think about, you know, the life of Christ, his path, literally where he went, what he did. And going back to what you said, Dr. Long, you know, talking about the oral portion yep. of things, you don't read within the books of the gospel that, okay, so uh, this person read what I just wrote earlier in the, the book of Luke, and so they knew to show up here to meet with Jesus. No, it, it was oral. It was That's things right. being said to people that were you know, depicting the Savior in a way that had never been presented before because he didn't live yet. You know? yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's inextricable from Christian education because it's inextricable from Christianity, from yes. faith yeah. as a and whole. I think that's such an important piece. There's no period between Christian education. Like, I am a Christian educator. Right. So that should flow out of me and everything in my classroom. So that's what I'm trying to equip my students with, that knowledge. You know, not very long ago, I believe Dr. Long was in my room, we were comparing texts by different authors. Um, it was actually two versions of Three Little Pigs, to be honest. And my students were deriving how does this wolf depict the enemy in my life? Mm. How would the story have been different if the other pigs had intervened? What does that tell us? We had been studying Jesus and the paralyzed man. How does that tell us the people that we surround ourselves, how they impact us? How does that matter? Sure. Um, so it's just that ability to take all of the things that you're learning about Christ and apply them in every aspect of your life, including education. Yeah, and in a real practical way, like we tell the kids all the time, if you can say it, you can write it. If you can write it, someone can read it, and that makes you an author, right? And mm -hmm. so those those literacy components, oral storytelling is in the Bible, but so are sure. letters written to other people, Absolutely. letters of correction, letters of affirmation or encouragement. And so, you know, when we look at the practices of the Bible, there are a lot of literacy components that are in there. People were studying um, scrolls and and writings from the Old Testament in the New Testament, and all of that was going on. And so, um, you know, it's modeled for us in the Bible. So I tell people all the time, if the Bible tells us how to do something, that's the best way to do it. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, let me add one thing. Uh, the, uh, one of the pieces that I think is also so central to to Christian education literacy is how we how we treat our students mm -hmm. how we how we and we talked about that a little bit in, in part one but you know in particular I would say this is that we uh, as, as as an educator um, I, I used to have this philosophy that I 
that I was I was there to save them, right? Like I was there to teach them, give them all the knowledge, give them all the skills, give them all the things as a teacher. But over the probably the last five years, even prior to being in education, I, I began to kind of shift and pivot a little bit too. And here it's really central to what we do. Hey, hey, we're not the we're not the gatekeeper here. What we are is a partner with these families and these children to help them uncover the gifts and talents God's given them, right? And so if I struggle with literacy, if I struggle with math, I'm not broken. I'm not I'm not a person who has who is who is God made a mistake on or there's a problem with. I have a different way to look at those things. I have a different perspective. I take a different route. I take a different path. But you're valuable. And and we don't and that is that is so passionate for me. That is so important for me to have teachers and school leaders in, in a school that looks at every student, regardless of their ability, and says, God loves you. He designed you. He made you this way. And you can impact the world for his glory um, if you follow his will. And if you do the things of that he's called you to do, right? Um, and all those things are valuable. And that doesn't mean that we want every kid um, to go to college, every kid to do this, every kid to do that. That's not what we're saying at all. What we're saying is we want to we want to walk with you to help you uncover the things that God's called and placed on your life, you know. And there is nothing more powerful than that. There's nothing more important than that. And, and to me. If that's not a distinctive of where, of who you are as a Christian school, um, then you miss the boat. Mm-hmm. You know, you have missed yeah. the boat because the practitioner, the le- the kid, the interaction with the student is way more important than any program. It's way more important than, than any chapel or any Bible class that we do because it's the day-to-day interaction. And we know that's 15,000 hours on average pre-K-12. Right? Mm-hmm. So that is 15,000 hours speaking into kids. Yes. M- creating who they think they are and ultimately that shapes where they go it's yeah. the beliefs about the learner God. you know that's we've pouring into that that is one of the most freeing um, transitions that god has brought me through as an educator that there is nothing amanda lay brings to that classroom it is all god and it is my prayer for them it is praying that god works in them there is nothing um, that they need from me and I, li- I taught a lot of years where I thought Amanda Lay brought a lot to a classroom. And what freedom it is to know that I can trust him to do whatever needs to be done in their lives if I'm obedient to what he has called me to do. Right. Yeah. So I am in Miss Lay's classroom a lot, you know, doing evaluations or observations. And so one thing I hear her talk with the students a lot about is the value of a productive struggle. And so in the, in the last episode, you know, I was talking about what a truly complex scientific thing is happening inside your brain when you learn to read, but also teaching our students the value of a productive struggle. You know, um, if you're, if you're not kind of struggling with information, you're not learning something, Mm. you're practicing something you already know. And there's a lot of value to doing something that seems hard, doing something that makes you feel um, like you wish you could do it easier and working through that because then, you know, you're acquiring some um, social and emotional skills that are important. But also the Bible's a very complex piece of literature. You know, there's a lot of different literary elements inside of it. And so we want our students to also know Yes, learning to read is very complex. It can be very difficult, um, especially as you kind of get those wheels turning at the beginning, which is, you know, the unique situation of elementary school is 
we're kind of starting all the gears going. And so um, it can be slow at the beginning and then pick up speed as they get older. But that productive struggle is an important part of education because not everything is always going to be easy. They're going to meet content as they get older that is challenging. And we want them to have that kind of, you know, academic muscle to Mm -hmm. persevere through those things. Mm -hmm. I think that um, speaks again to the idea of Christian education. Um, Children are not going to be willing to have that productive struggle without an environment that is safe to make mistakes, an environment where they feel like um, they're supported And so I think that is also another piece that's so special here. Um, Our children are are all seen as individuals and, you know, in our classrooms, they're they're safe to make mistakes. They're willing to take that next step because there isn't that judgment. There isn't that condemnation. It's a safe place to get something wrong. You know, and we say mistakes are proof you're trying. And that's something that we lose as adults. We feel like we're always supposed to have the right answer. And that's, that's not... That's not biblical. You know, growth is a lifetime. Um, And I think it's important that we convey that to our students. Yeah. Plus the Bible says we will never fully understand. Mm. Mm, We'll never reach that point where we have complete knowledge or full understanding. Which which is extremely difficult to accept today. Like culturally speaking, and I'm not saying that as like a, oh, hate culture sort of thing, but like culturally just as a people, especially here in the U.S., we hate the concept of not being, not understanding, Mm -hmm. not being able to understand, or even like you were talking about, Dr. Long, you know, having to persevere or struggle to understand something. We're very, I'm saying this as the millennial that, you know, gets made fun of for this, (laughs) like instant gratification. You know, the idea of if you have a problem, we talked about on the last episode, I've got the whole world at my fingertips by way of my phone. If I don't remember who so-and-so was that directed this movie from the 80s, I'm a second and a half from learning Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. And, And so not just as students who are, you know, growing up in that world, but as someone who, like myself, you know, now has access to those things, literally anybody struggles with instant gratification versus following the model of scripture that is, hey, be still and know Mm -hmm. every once in a while. And I think that's an important modeling aspect for us as parents and for educators and leaders. Um, They need to see us struggle and own it, and they need to watch us push through that, you know, that's and, a, they're looking at us in all aspects. And if we're saying it and we're not doing it, then they're getting a very confused view. And they'll, they'll know mm-hmm. quick. Yes. And they'll call <laughs> you out. Exactly. We would also talk to you about like misplaced value. Sure. So are you finding your value in the fact that you know the answer to that 80s director of the movie? <laughs> or are you finding your value where you're supposed to find it right. from? Mm-hmm. And so it's an uncomfortable moment for all of us to say, I don't know something or I can't do it. But it's an important place for us to also be in that I don't lose any value mm-hmm. in that moment where I don't know how to do something or I'm not successful at something. I'm not less valuable in that moment. It's just an opportunity for growth. And so that's a mindset shift um, that we are that we are embracing as educators, but also as parents, mm-hmm. you know, and so um, that's an important topic for another yeah. day. And I think to watch <laughs> them in the classroom setting, like Dr. Long spoke, over time, it takes intentionality sure. and it takes grit and dedication. But over time, when you watch them look in the classroom and say, oh, watch, watch, she's having a productive, st-. you know, they're celebrating <laughs> right. yeah. the fact that their friend is experiencing a challenge. Man, that's, that is freedom. Yeah. 
in the classroom. Absolutely. And I, I will, before we you know leave this question, I, I will say that, uh, Ms. Lay, I appreciate your humility and your heart there because you, you said a moment ago that at one time you thought Miss Lay brought a lot mm-hmm. to the classroom. Now you know mm-hmm. she doesn't bring anything. And I think I'm sitting at a table full of people that would say that Miss Lay brings a lot mm-hmm. to the classroom mm-hmm. and yes. that we're very thankful for the work that you do. But your, your humility speaks to how much you bring. So I... Yeah. He's done a great work. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, well, kind of bouncing off from there, Dr. Klein, I, I want to run something by you. And of course, this is, is a question for anyone. But um, Dr. Klein, as our head of schools, can you talk to us a little bit about the third grade retention law that is uh, kind of going on in Tennessee public education right now? Yeah, I mean, thanks for that. Um, <laughs> no, I think the few things. One is it, it's it's very controversial. So, um, so um, Laker Christian Schools does not endorse everything on this podcast. I guess I should say, uh, but also, um, you know, it's in the House right now for some edits, and and they and it looks like the House and the Senate are really going to consider some things that could basically, um, you know, could change this a little bit. But the, but the general the general idea is this: if a kid's not on grade level by third grade in literacy. Um, there's a lot of research out there that shows they're going to struggle greatly, mm-hmm. and and that's true. That's legitimate. Um, you can't deny that. Um, literally, it's connected to everything from your health and well-being, life expectancy, and literacy are literally connected. Um, I mean, all things are okay, sure. and so it's really really important. I will tell you a few things. Number one is this: I think it's a great, 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 um, great, great, great mistake to look at a student's test score, an academic test score, and determine whether or not they're ready to go to the next grade level. We've known for a very, very long time, literally 20, 30, 40 years um, or more, um, that that retention is something that um, is a multifaceted decision if done well. And so that should include things as simple as how big is the kid, right? Um, I mean, literally their stature. If you look at research, it's very clear. If students are very, very large and have developed early physically, retention is not as helpful. Like, I mean, we know that. I mean, literally, literally things there. So, so we, we should take a look at retention in a great, in a greater lens. It should be not just a test score. It should be, um, it should involve the parent, uh, are the parents on board? Do they support that decision? Is that, does the child understand what that means? Do they support that decision how old are they are we going to now have a 19 year old senior because we know that's that's never good that doesn't work out either so i mean so it's a big decision retention is a very big decision and it should include a lot of it should include a lot of things um you know i would tell you developmentally you know what we have found here with our approach is is that we don't we don't panic if a kid leaves kindergarten not on grade level we don't panic um, because maybe they're not developmentally ready to be on grade level, right? Everyone develops differently. We all know that. We all know we all develop differently. But then we come to school and we want everybody to be the same. And, and it's unbelievable, right? Like we, we know right. that is not the case. So we all develop differently. So that's a big piece to this. Here's what we found. We have seen a dramatic reduction in the number of students that are not on grade level. Every year it goes down. So they start in our program in, in kindergarten or pre-K, and it's a misconception to think that every kid that comes to a private Christian school is on grade level. That is not true. Um, and every year we see that go down because we try different strategies with that kid. That kid grows in their development. Uh, their families begin to work with them in different ways and find different skills and strategies and all those things. And, and they develop and they and they go. By the time a kid, by the time our fourth grade goes to fifth grade next year, um, it looks like it's on track to pretty much everybody's going 
be on grade level or above. Yeah. There'll be a stu- there'll be a few students that won't be right. There'll be a few students that won't be. Uh, but but I would just caution families. I would caution our state legislature. I would caution anyone involved in education to look at a test score and try to determine a kid's future because we all know that those things um, are, you know are not they're not they're not. 100% measures of the future, sure. not 100% measures of success. And, and my secondary, my secondary heart kind of comes out a little bit here in this too. Totally unrelated is this, is that there may be parents listening to this that have high school students or students that are approaching college and they're going to be taking ACT or SAT. And one of the things I always tell families is, is that the SAT or ACT, I don't want them to wear that around their neck. You know, I don't look at kids. We have a, we have a student in our school that has a 35 right on his ACT. Fantastic. Great score. That doesn't mean he's going to be successful in life. Mm-hmm. We have a student who has an 18. That doesn't mean they're not going to be successful yes. in life. Right. right. Like that is a one time picture of your academic mm-hmm. ability in that time, in that space for that season. And it does not. Um, it does not mean they're going to be successful, nor does it mean they are not going to be successful. I would even go so far as to say it also should not place limits on their dreams and their goals. It should not place limits on, um, it should not, it should not, um, pressure them into other situations. Well, my ACT score is this high, so I should probably go to college, even though I have a great passion for this industry or this trade or this skill. Right. Like we should use the skills and the gifts that we have that God has given us to impact the kingdom how we feel like he's called us to be and a test should not change our calling. It does not change our calling. Right. Um, So um, that's a really long answer to say, you know, I think that, that they have more insights to provide, but as a parent, it would be very concerning to me uh, for, for, for anyone to look at one snapshot in time to consider if my kids should move on to the next level. Mm-hmm. Right. Met- metrics help you flesh out the story. They do not tell the story. Absolutely. They are not the story itself. Um, well, I- I'll direct this next question to you then, Amanda. Um, let- let's say my uh, student comes home and I know they're not at the level that, you know, we, we want them to be at, that they want to be at. They are just mm-hmm. someone that does not enjoy reading. What what would you tell me as a parent, as someone, you know, hey, my kid does not like reading. What what do I do? What steps do you recommend taking? Well, I think the first important step as an educator is to be able to provide clear, real-time data. We need to be able to show in what areas we can best support this child. But honestly, in my heart, the first answer I'm going to say is, are they watching you read for enjoyment? Sure. Are you modeling that? Because if the answer is no, then... Again, your walk and your talk don't match. And so um, in my classroom every day, we have 15 to 20 minutes where we stop everything and we all read, myself included. Yeah. And if you ask them, it is their favorite time of day. It's important that we're walking out um, and that they see us enjoying literature. Um, so that would be my first question. And the second would be, have you taken the joy out of it? Are you doing that? That's a B, not a D. You know, right. all of this. And I, as a parent, that was the world's worst the first (laughs) few years because I couldn't separate the educator in myself from the parent. Sure. And so when I stopped trying to be the teacher and I just wore wore the role that God gave me as the mother Mm. and I just loved my child and let him or her read for enjoyment and I just listened instead of interjecting all the time, it came I think we just feel as parents the natural need to correct and teach and guide. And that's our job in certain realms. Um, 
in the reading process, I think they have to be able to leave school and read for enjoyment with the people that they love. Right. And I think part of that comes from you wanting to mm-hmm. be an exceptional parent. You know, it, it's not apathy that makes you mm-hmm. correct at mm-hmm. all. It, no. It's the opposite. Like, hey, I want mm-hmm. the best for you. And any good parent wants better for their child yes. than they had themselves. If I struggled in this way, I want you to not struggle because you can use some of the mm-hmm. experience I have. Yeah. And then you have out of the greatest place in the world wanting to serve your child, you yes. have made this performance environment yeah. out of a nightly ritual that could be just such a beautiful and peaceful thing. And I, I yeah. will say for Matt and I, the most powerful thing that we did in this process in our own home was pray about it. Because there's only sure. one way that that ability is coming or can be changed. And it's not through me. And so the most powerful thing we did as parents was pray for that development. And he was faithful. Now, it's a, sometimes it takes time, but um, I think, honestly, prayer is the most powerful piece. If yeah. you want to improve anything in your kid's life, we ought to be praying about it. But sure. um, and modeling. Yeah. I would just go back to, you know, Dr. Klein kind of filled us in a little bit on the third grade. But, you know, what that has done is create a little bit of anxiety. That's right. In of our, course. In our parent population, not our parent population, like specific to this school, but sure. in the parent population of elementary school students. And so I'll go back to something I said earlier. I believe everybody works from their confidence, right? And so if your child doesn't love to read, then uh, Miss Lay already said, you know, be self-reflective. Do you love to read? Are you using language that encourages reading? But also, how many of us love to do something what we have no say in? Right? So we talked a little bit about the behaviors of readers. Most people who consider themselves readers are not told what to read every single time they read something, right? And so we as a leadership team have books that we read because they're assigned to us. Um, (laughs) But if you say to the people at that leadership table, is that the book that you chose because you love to read? Sure. Was that the book of your heart? (laughs) You know, you do that because it's it's an assignment, right? (laughs) So if the only time your children are experiencing reading is through what they are assigned Mm. to do, then it's hard for them to develop a love of it. You know, you you do what you love because it comes out of, you know, your interests. And so I would say, take your child to the bookstore and let them choose something. But, you know, I also would say like, like Amanda said, I I can remember when Natalie was uh, little, that's my daughter who's 17 and a junior at Lakeway. Um, and she's, she's definitely a reader, but that didn't come until second grade. And so for mm-hmm. someone who mm-hmm. absolutely yes. loves reading acquisition, one of the hardest parenting moments for me was like, we would sit down to read and she wanted no part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I felt like I was modeling the good things. I felt like I was not creating the stress and pressure. I mean, I felt like I was trying to do the things that I knew to be good and right and it was not happening, you know? And so for a person who, as a first grade classroom teacher, I was teaching hundreds of kids to learn how to read. And then I had this one child that God gave me. And for whatever reason, that relationship between the two of us was adversarial and just not not positive for either one of Mm -hmm. us. And then she had this teacher, Ashley McMillan, who lives in Australia now on the Gold Coast. Good for her. (laughs) She's probably out in the sun right now while we sit here in this gloomy day. But she bought her a book that had her name in it. So the Mm. character in the book was named Natalie. 
And she ordered books for all of her students, and they had this red box parade. And so they would, like, parade down to the office and get their box of books and have a book parade back. And then she would pass their books out, and they laid around on the floor yeah. and read their mm-hmm. book that their teacher awesome. picked out for them. <laughs> and then she fell in love with reading because it wasn't me, her mom, mm-hmm. who had all of this tension. And, you know, our children know that. They can tell when you're stressed about something. They can tell when there's a lot of tension within you because you want them to be successful from the most genuine place that it can come from. But they they are very perceptive and they pick up on those things. And so, um, you know, for me, it goes back to building that confidence and building that love of reading. And sometimes that's not what you want them to read, right? Like they want to read the gross book about like, (laughs) gross animals that do weird things. And you don't want them to read that. You want them to read like the classics. You know, I remember my dad made me read all the classics. You want them to read something beautiful that you can like have them read to their grandparents. But if your kid wants to read a gross book about, you know, disgusting animals and and their bodily functions, just let them read it. You heard it here. And make up a crazy voice to it and just get in there with them and be silly and lay around the floor like that teacher did for my daughter. Because, that getting over that hump and making that identification like I am a reader and maybe what I read is nonfiction or maybe what I read is I mean some of these kids really you would be surprised at what they love what's in their heart for a love of reading (laughs) but once they make that identification I'm a reader I like to read because this is what I read then we can take them anywhere with that and I think that was such a pivotal statement and I think all of us can relate to just those few words Dr. Long said. And then there was that teacher. Right? <laughs> Absolutely. Like, we yep. can never underestimate the power of the relationships God has given us the ability to form. And especially in lower grades, especially in literacy, there is, um, you cannot underestimate that influence. Absolutely. Man, that is awesome. Th- thank you. For uh, just we're a dynamic duo. <laughs> you absolutely are. <laughs> uh, okay, so we've we've talked about um, you know my child doesn't love to read. What do I do? So next step from there, then, and and this will be our last question. You know, on the topic, I I want to do kind of a roundup, I guess. So let's say my kid does actually enjoy reading, but we're struggling with some literacy skills, or we just want to get better in general. What what practices would you say that you can take home? to really develop your child's literacy skills. And this is for everybody. (laughs) Will you all let me just be a little nerdy just for one second? Absolutely. Okay, so, um, you know, there have been some studies done even on uh, how much noise is in the world now compared to before. And so, actually, our world is getting much quieter. And, you know, that's because people are listening to headphones, People are engaging with like digital materials, but people don't actually talk as much as they used to out loud. So when you think about when you were a kid, maybe not Spencer because he's very young, but when we were kids, <laughs> like if your mom called her friend, you listened to one side of the whole conversation, right? You know, yeah. cause there was one phone in our house with a really long cord. And so my mom would just walk from room to room talking to her friends or we would talk in the car and play games as we were riding along the road or, you know, um, our activities were like making up these stories and my parents would lock the door and we had to play outside all day. So my brother and I would make up all kinds of different adventures. And so 
there was a lot of verbal language in the atmosphere around me as a child. But now, even when we study the amount of noise, it's, it's a lot quieter. And so when you think about literacy acquisition, what our children need is exposure to language in order to acquire language. And so um, if you're listening to headphones, then your child's not hearing the music or the podcast or whatever as you listen to the lion's roar, Lakeway's best Absolutely. podcast. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> the number one, pod- number one podcast. But your, your children are not hearing that because it's in your ears. Or, sure. um, you know, we're putting them maybe on tablets. And so I think it's super important. And what I want people to hear is that digitized text and digitized voices are processed through a different part of your brain than real voices and hard copy text. And that part of your brain is actually weaker. So if you want to use the strongest part of your child's brain, you would talk to them with a Mm -hmm. human voice and you would read those stories out loud with your voice or you would make up stories that they have to finish Mm -hmm. or you would have all of those adventures out loud. Or you would read an actual book because the um, visual stimulus of that is going through a stronger part of their brain than if you were to put them like on a tablet and let them listen to a book. Not that that's not appropriate sometimes, you know, or if you're in a crowded setting and obviously you you don't need everybody in the restaurant to hear the book that your child is listening to at (laughs) that moment. So I understand that there are situations in which that that is appropriate. But I just want everyone um, to know that the most effective, mm-hmm. strongest part of your brain comes from actual conversations and then actual hard copy books. Mm-hmm. I'm reminded of uh, my mother-in-law, who is an exceptional educator, a title teacher, uh, teacher in the public school system. And uh, Morgan's youngest sister, Morgan, my wife, her youngest sister was having just full-blown conversations with folks at like two years and some change yeah. because mm-hmm. of what her mother did and who she was. You would just see her walking down the aisle in food lion, having full conversations yes. with this baby. Yes. You're like, so what are we going to get today? Yeah. Oh, do you want this? Do you want to have that? And some yes. people would look at it and, you know, give kind of a quizzical look or saying like, why are you doing this? And then you hear that child having Absolutely. these conversations way younger than you would ever expect because they're getting that auditory version of this yes. information that they so otherwise important. wouldn't be getting. And research mm-hmm. shows that the importance of the vocabulary that children hear at those developmental ages directly impact um, their words spoken, their literacy skills. It's so important. Mm-hmm. That's why I read the dictionary I to my baby at night. <laughs> I don't know if I'll read the dictionary, but maybe uh, maybe like a cookbook. It's a great transition uh, into, I would say, you know, a few things. One is I do think that boys and girls are different. And, um, and as a boy dad, I have two boys uh, that are approaching 8 and 10. You know, it's something that, that I'm real purposeful about. Like a, a great day in the Klein home is this, I, in the summer in particular. I work. Um, and Mandy and the boys are at home, and I come home, and they see, um, and I'll come home, and, and Mandy will be in the pool, and she'll have a book, and she'll be reading, and I'll say, where are the boys? And she's like, I don't know. They're somewhere in, on the farm or in the woods. They're in the woods And so they're in the woods starting a fire, but don't see worry. See smoke in the distance? That's them. That's right. They have a BB gun. They are protecting me. I am well. I'm reading my book. 
I'll see you in a couple hours. Okay. And so, and so that's what she loves, right? But if I told my boys, boys, you need to sit down um, in the middle of the day and you need to read a book in the, in the pool float and not wrestle and play and jump and swim and run, they would think, well, reading is miserable, right? Like, I don't like reading and this is bad. Yeah. And so, so, so we've established a great rhythm in our home is like the, how we practically do that is um, we, I don't make them read during the day. Like it's not something that we do during the summer or even during the school day in the year when we're out or anything. But at night when they calm down, uh, I know I'm so sorry. That's a literacy <laughs> podcast. But but what we do is every night we, we close it out like this. Um, we I get the boys in bed, and they're together. They, they're in the same bed when we do this part, and I read a book to them. And maybe it's a chapter. Maybe it's two chapters. Right now it's Brian's Winter. Um, and they love that because it's an adventure about a boy a little bit older than them stuck in the you know. The, it's it's the it's the sequel to Hatchet, I guess, or the next part of Hatchet. If Brian was not rescued, um, and we're right now in the part where it's like getting cold, you know, and they're like loving it, you know. <laughs> and so last night we read a chapter, and they wanted me to read more, and it was getting late, but I read one more, right, because they were just so engaged That's in this awesome. piece, right. Yeah. Yeah. But then here's the other part to that, okay. The other part to that is is then you know I was like, all right, you guys, it's before we go to bed. We got 20 minutes. I want you all to read on your own, you know, but I don't even say that now. Like I close the book out. They know they get their book and it's not like biblical childhood by, you know, Dobson or whatever. I mean, that's not what they're reading. They're reading like, like Brody's reading. Um, he would last night he was reading, um, world records of sports, basically. Like he yeah. was just literally reading about, uh, record holders in athletic competition. Sure. Rex is reading Diary of a Wimpy Kid and, or maybe Captain Underpants, actually. I, I can't remember exactly what he was reading, but it, it was, I would say zero value as far as informational text. Zero value for skills, zero value in biblical worldview, zero value in all those things. But I can't measure this, the, the beauty of them, of them reading on their own, something they've selected and building that love of literacy because the topics, you know, the topics will change. And I just think that's really important to, to know as a parent that you have to know your child and that every child is different and that boys and girls are different. And, and that when it's raining outside and, and if I tried to say, sit down and read a book right now, they would much rather put their boots on and go play in the mud. Mm-hmm. And that's okay, right? Sure. Like, that's okay. And so that's kind of, I think, what, you know, really Dr. Long and, and Miss Lay have really talked about here is that this is not a, you know, um, cookie cutter, one size fits all world yes. in literacy, that it's actually the exact opposite, that it is individualized, as individualized as anything is, right? Uh, our skills in reading, our ability to learn how to read, and our journey to literacy. You know, as individuals, it's always it's always so individualized. Absolutely. Well, uh, any other thoughts before we kind of close out the topic itself and you know get to some some housekeeping fun questions? I think so. Uh, let me do one more cautionary tale. Yes, sir, please. Uh, all, to all you dads out there listening um, and moms, and uh, I would just caution you, like, don't make reading a thing that girls do. Uh, and don't yeah. make reading yeah, like, that's oh, well, that's what girls do is they read books and boys play with trucks, whatever. Don't do that. Um, but it's okay for uh, It's okay for boys to play with trucks and it's okay for girls to read. But it's also okay for boys to read, right? And so as a dad, right. I, I, my children see me read um, because I don't want to make that. That's something that's girly or feminine at all. Like I want them to understand the power of being able to read 
and, and the beauty of being able to read. So I would say that the, the second thing I have is that I, I, I talk to my boys a lot about, hey, if someone's in class and this is for parenting tip free, if someone's in class and they miss they mispronounce a word or they struggle with that or you see them not they're not able to do that well uh, or whatever the case may be, that 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 is not a time for you to correct. Right. Like your teacher does that. You don't correct those kids. You never ridicule or make fun of somebody for how they look like that's an easy one. Like we don't make fun of kids or or adults or whoever because of how they look because they can't control that. I would also say that about someone's ability to, to read. Right. Is that shouldn't that is totally off limits in our house. Brother to brother, mom to dad. Sure kid the son we don't make fun of people for for yeah. things like that because that that social emotional piece is what we talked about at the very beginning the confidence is almost as important as the skills yeah. or maybe it is as important yeah. maybe more you know yeah, so absolutely. that's important i mean i would say i mean i know that all of us have probably been in that classroom where everyone's reading and you're yeah. counting off to decide when Popcorn it's going to be reading. your turn yeah. and then like you got to go ahead and read that so yeah. you don't mess you know it's yeah. really important that in our classrooms, we're creating safe spaces. Mm-hmm. In our children, we're teaching them to be a safe space for other people mm-hmm. um, because confidence is a big. And I think children also have seasons of interest as well. Mm-hmm. And so there, there's going to be a season of interest where your child is reading for pleasure and enjoyment. And then there's going to be mm-hmm. a season where they just want to do something athletic and physical. And, and, and that's true for the rest of our lives. And so, you know, I think it's important too, to recognize that just because their bodies are small, doesn't mean they don't have the same kind of needs that we as adults have. So that seasonal, um, it comes and it goes as long as the skills are there, maybe not putting a lot of pressure around it, um, helps too. Absolutely. I mean, like my Aubrey is currently reading David Venable's cookbook from QVC <laughs> and composing her own. That's really right. Awesome. You know, like, yeah. but it's not, I mean, it, I just let her be. Sure. That's yeah. fantastic. Isn't that hilarious? Yeah. Yeah. As long as you get some, you know, food made. Yeah, maybe she cooks. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. The application. Spencer said the application it. of knowledge was mm-hmm. super yes. important. So, and so as long as she's applying that. There you go. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, uh, I will transition us out uh, of the topic at hand then, at, at least sort of. Um, actually, this next question is no more applicable than today. Um, Reagan, you said, you know, in the last episode, we talked about leaders are readers. It's something we, yeah. uh, you know, say all the time. And I, I truly believe that. Um, so I'll you know, start with you. Can you tell us what have you been reading lately? Sure. So I told you the last time I'm always trying to read a fiction and a nonfiction. Right. So I'll give you both of them. Um, I am reading a fiction book right now called Dawn Lands. It's a, the third book in a trilogy by Philippa Gregory. And I am reading um, Revelations of Divine Love, which is believed to be the first published book written by a woman in the 14th wow. century, Julian of Norwich. Huh. That is That's awesome. What I said. There you go. Well, <laughs> Kevin, what are you reading? Brian's Winter, <laughs> the second part of Hatchet, the f- wonderful child's novel. That is it. Do you feel that you're I developing? I read children's yeah. novels too. You know, uh, this the, Dr. Long's book of seasons, and and season right. for me right now, school leader is budget hiring and and recruiting <laughs> teachers. 
and, you know, in family interviews and recruiting um, and recruiting students and families. And so, honestly, at night now, my time that I did spend reading, I do read Brian's Winter uh, chapter a, a night or two. But then also, um, it's laptop and it's really Excel. I don't know if you've heard of that book, but yeah. uh, Columns author, and uh, Rows, yeah. Tabs. Yeah. That's that's the book I'm reading now. Miss <laughs> Lay? So I just finished, shared with Dr. Long, the most really good book called um, Rubber Bands on My Socks, which is the story of a sharecropper's daughter right. who ended up being the first African-American woman superintendent in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, and just her testimony, which was amazing. Currently, I'm in the midst of Then There Was Light, Abraham Lincoln and the American Struggle. I've been in since Christmas. It, number one, I thought I needed glasses because the words are so small. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, it's fine. Um, it's just extremely dense. Um, yeah. Lots of information. And so yeah. I am reading so much slower than I'm used to, but it's fantastic. Can I borrow that book? Absolutely. I and I have Prince Harry's book waiting on the shelf. I just have to get through Abe Lincoln first, but I'm goal set. What a change. <laughs> Abe Lincoln <laughs> to Prince Harry. Uh, th- and so speaking of that, uh, it is my favorite part of the show. Um, I must add. Um, and I listen, I, I will tell you right now that I completely protest winter. Um, after Christmas, um, I, I, I pretend that it's sunny outside. Sometimes I'll put my sunglasses on just because I feel like it helps the transition. So I would just tell you that, um, you know, I'm completely biased here, but and I know it's wishful thinking, but my favorite time of the year to eat is in the summer with a fresh garden. And so, um, what is your favorite vegetable and how that's prepared from the garden? Uh, I mean, I, I can get us started. We we joked actually during the break, uh, Amanda and I, that <laughs> if we were eating from our garden, it would be uh, some weeds, maybe some grass clippings. <laughs> but um, my favorite uh, vegetable when prepared well, it's probably zucchini. Mm, mm. Uh, just love some like quarter it, throw it on there, oil, salt, pepper, mm. maybe even a little spicy danos if you're feeling wild and then wow. roast it for a while. What is what was the verb? What was the type of cooking process you said in the first episode ever <laughs> incorrectly? Blanch, blanch to zucchini, yeah, maybe. Yeah. My favorite is um, this is I'm excited about this one. Um, just imagine this: a plate uh, with a. I know cornbread doesn't come out of the garden, but it, it's it's definitely a garden. You're not food. about to say cornbread is your me. garden. So food. a slice of cornbread with uh, butter melted on top of it. Slices of tomatoes, uncooked, just okay. tomatoes. Okay. Um, slices of cucumber. Sand. A boiled corn on the cob or grilled, either blanched one. Even. Maybe blanched. You blanch yeah. it before you freeze it. Um, a boiled corn on the cob or grilled corn on the cob. Um, fried okra, which is fantastic, as my granny would say, okri, some fried okra. Um, and, um, and some fresh strawberries. There's no greater meal. Convince me otherwise. <laughs> That's a hearty meal, but it sounds like a good one. That's a lot of things mixed together as well. <laughs> like, well, it's all touching. <laughs> Taste the rainbow. So I, my first gut answer is mm, on the flat top at Wasabi's with my fried rice. I want my zucchini. Ah. That's Amen. Yeah, love But if I'm going to be true to a summertime, <laughs> it's a Granger County tomato hollowed out filled with cottage cheese would be my. Oh, Interesting. Mm. Okay. Salt and pepper. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, all yeah, there you go. 
Okay, there you go. What about you, Reagan? Yeah, so I would say one of my dad's heirloom tomatoes mm. made into a BLT because that was oh, one of my yeah. favorite summer meals when I was growing up. That at is home. fantastic. Now, let's be honest about BLTs for a second. If you were to type out BLT, the B is big, bold, large font. The LT. It's just hanging out, you know. It's it's <laughs> like the LT. That's Ringo, you know. He wouldn't be there alone. He's there because B is doing some heavy lifting. Oh, mm. I mean, do, I mean, I do would you disagree? T was wow. the biggest in my home. It's an heirloom up. tea. There was, you know, lettuce. If it if my mom had it from the store, sure. you know, that was real optional. Mm. A BT, and then, if you will, yeah, yeah, or sometimes a belt. So if you put an egg on there, oh yeah, fantastic. that's the whole next level of deliciousness. All right, you won me over. Yes. Um, Amanda does not seem one over. <laughs> no, but that's it. Amanda awesome. doesn't like her food to touch. <laughs> so, uh, as we kind of finish up, you know, just a few things just to remind you out there. Um, number one is we are really, really, um, really, really grateful for, for those of you that have uh, reviewed this podcast and you have you have rated this podcast. Um, so thank you for that. Um, Lakeway events to remind you of is it simply going to be financial aid for family. So if you're a Lakeway family that uses financial aid, make sure that you complete that financial aid application by uh, May the 15th. That is our deadline. So please make sure that you submit your financial aid application by uh, May the 15th. Anything else, Spencer? Nothing major that I've had. We've, we've had some great events. You're listening to this either on or post spring break at this point. So we've yes. got a lot of big things ahead as we you know, slide down the, the last quarter of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I always recommend LakewayTix.com, checking that out, and LCSTN.org. I can't believe I fr- the Spring Gala. I was just yes. The yeah. Spring Gala. So the Spring Gala is coming up April the 29th. It's an opportunity for you to support Lakeway Christian Schools. It's one of our one of two major fundraisers we do each year. That money goes right to our teachers. So um, it's going to be help us have competitive teacher salaries, high quality instructional technology, and high quality rigorous curriculum in every classroom. And so um, LakewayTix.com opportunities to sponsor, purchase tickets. Uh, and tables for the gala. There's also a silent auction that you can do online. So I, I highly encourage you to to look at that um, and to really see uh, see how you can help support Lakeway Christian Schools uh, because each of the t- each time that you do, you're impacting kids. Absolutely. Well, all right. Without any further ado, then we will uh, give a go Cubs on three. But before I do that, I do want to say thank you again to Miss Amanda Lay for joining us and to Dr. Reagan Long. Um, Really a pleasure, again, just to see your heart and your passion for the subject at hand. We really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. I would say Miss Lay has worked now here a couple years. We've known each other. 20 ish 20 no more need. maybe 20 no plus no a long time um and and you know you know someone's a great teacher but you you don't know how good until they have your kid in class and so miss lay's my yeah. second grade te- my son's second grade miss lay was my second grade teacher miss <laughs> lay's uh no i'm just kidding miss lay has my son rex in class and um and that has just been a joy for us and just she is so good she's the real deal um, and you know, and, and that's the difference of Lakeway Christian schools right there. It's the people we have great buildings, great, great, great curriculum, great, you know, great procedures, great opportunities, independent school, all the things. Right. Um, and, but, but you take, if you love Jesus and you love kids, this is a place for you to be. Yes. Uh, and, um, and because of those two things, um, this place is special. Yes. And so I just thank Miss Lay. Um, and all of our teachers for all the great work they do to impact our kids. Absolutely. 
Alrighty, then on three, we'll give a go Cubs. One, two, three. Go, go Cubs! Cubs.